You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey, folks, with us today, Antti, co-founder and CEO of Yeepli. Super happy to have you on. Thank you, Nicholas. Proud to be here. Good to awesome. be here. You're not the typical tech founder in the sense of your business is way more about atoms than most people, at least of those listening. Tell us a bit about yourself and your company. Yeah, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, we're not a typical SaaS company. We're more of a tech-enabled operational company. Uh, what we do is very simple. We maintain bikes. Uh, but how we do that and um, where we're going with this, it's not as simple as that. Uh, and if you look at my background, I, I come from the tech uh, industry. So the previous company, we're doing mobile apps for employee benefits, growing that company. Before that, it was a combination of software and hardware for logistics companies. So the background is from the tech side. But then my hobby is bikes. And then just looking at it from my perspective as a, a biker, I, the bike industry serves me really well. But then my mom, it's, it's a nasty experience for her. She's not a biker. And, and when she wants to get her bike maintained, it's, it's, it's a pain in the ass. And I can feel and sense the pain and like everything coming from her. I was like, oh, what the fuck? Like, can't we just create something that she would smile? She would urge to get her bike maintained and she would just like be excited about it. Uh, and that's what we started. So kind of combining an old school very kind of not too much appreciated industry and bumping it up with tech to uh, turn it into something that uh, people really want to work for. Like when we founded the company back in 2016 with my co-founder Tom, we thought like, hey, can we just turn this around that if we look at small kids when they're growing up, they want to be firefighters, they want to be policemen and they want to be Yeppley mechanics, like making it so sexy, this kind of a bit not sexy uh, industry and uh, Sorry, so that was a like long story. My yeah. answer and no, no, a little bit about the company as well. <laughs> Sorry. It's perfect. And, and what I would love to know is how did you initially get it off your ground? Because repairing bikes is nothing you can do from behind your laptop. So how did no. you get the first 10, 20, 100 customers up and running in terms of operations? Yeah, yeah. That, that was a lot. Like back in 2016, me and Tommy were both uh, still having our daily jobs. And then we, I came up with the idea like, hey, we could make it work like this. Um, let's get it started. And what we did was like, okay, let's, let's do it. We shook hands. Uh, what we did, we agreed like, if we do it, we're going to make it the biggest and best in the world. Nothing short of that. Uh, and then what we did, we just said like, okay, we, we need to test this. What, what happens if we bring bike maintenance into the neighborhoods, bring it onto wheels? Um, what we did, we went into a different van shops. We bought a used van. Uh, we had thought like, hey, what do we need in the tools and this and that? We got it all furnished up, uh, foiled very, it didn't look like our like service units look today. It was very ugly, but we wanted to get it to the customers as early as possible to see like, can we get people like my mom to smile? Can we get them to smile and pay money uh, as well? Uh, so it was in the beginning, it was me and Tommy in the shifts. I have a history in bikes, so I know how to maintain them. So I was maintaining them. And then we're at the same time, we're kind of also looking at the whole customer journey from like, how do they see us online? How do they find us? How do they go through the online process of 
oh, figuring out what we're offering to them, to the booking of the service, and then kind of joining the virtual world into the physical world of like, okay, now we see you physically here and we continue the same customer journey uh, throughout. So kind of figuring that out because what we really put a lot of effort is, in, is into the customer uh, experience, not only on the digital side, but also on the like the, the physical world. So just being on the ground. And then when you're talking with the customers, then you realize, okay, this is how they see the world. This is how we need to talk to them. They're not bikers. They're just people who have an appliance that needs to work. Yep. I would love to double click on one thing you said, which is, and we wanted to be the best in the world. Did yeah. you really start out the company with, with that level of ambition or did your level of ambition grow with the early signs of success? No, we, we said with Tommy, like when we find like, if we're going to do this, let, let's, let's make it into something great. So we wanted it to be the biggest and best. We had no idea what that means if we quantify like biggest. It was very difficult to quantify that. But that was just kind of the ambition level. Like if we want to, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it properly. And we set a goal. We, we basically, we had a lunch where we first introduced this idea to Tommy. That was in March. In April, we had the company founded. In June, we had the MVP at our customers. And then uh, 1st of June. And then basically at that point, we said like by August, we either say that it's not going to work or we say, yes, it works. And we go into the next phase. So we gave us like three months of time to uh, run through the first initial pilot and that's but I, I think kind of setting that it, it, been working with a lot of different people and i think with tommy we come from very different backgrounds so mine is like from business from engineering and he comes from the creative world so we we look at the world very differently but i think what we share is the value base what we build the whole company on top that's common between us and the other thing is the kind of where we're going with the company how we're going there, we, we disagree on many, many things on a daily basis, but kind of because we have the same value base and we have the same direction, then we typically can find the probably the best way uh, to push forward. So how do you clarify that end goal for your employees? Because I feel like between co-founders, yeah. you kind of can be read between the lines, but as soon as yeah. you hire two, three, four, five people, they can't read your mind. So how... How do you translate that to embed it into your company? I, I think that's something that we struggle with every single day. We, we put a, quite a bit of effort into that with Tommy. Like, how do we communicate? How do we build that they're part of this journey that we're doing? And if we look at it, like, I think a lot of people, when you just state that we want to be the biggest and best, that kind of ignites something like, what are these guys doing? They're just like Finnish people, like probably the dumbest place on earth to start a bike maintenance business. They're coming from Finland in the middle of snow and saying that they want to be the biggest and best at bike maintenance and keeping uh, vehicles running. And uh, I think that's kind of sparkles. But then you, once you have more and more people in many different countries, in different cities, then you need to kind of find the ways how you can communicate because it cannot be that I see every single new employee or Tommy sees every single employee and tells the story and how can we kind of get the story to uh, roll out. And that's what we've done many, many different iterations and the kind of uh, the, uh, where are we going? What's the mission? And uh, how do we communicate that uh, to the employees? If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, 
then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Get a 14-day risk-free trial and a transparent price of $95 per hour. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. For the people who are earlier starting out, maybe raise their first round of funding, which gives the initial growth in terms of headcount. Do you have two or three tips specifically on what you would do in that situation to, to get that culture going? Like yeah, very think, specific technical things? Yeah, I think kind of paying a lot of attention to the, like the top people that you hire. Because if those are going right, then everything underneath them goes right. But if you make a mistake there, then everything beneath it is also going to fail. So that's, I think, kind of our uh, learnings. And then also trusting your own instinct and how you feel. Like there will be, once you raise round, then there will be a lot of advisories uh, telling you how things should be done. Uh, some of them, they have very good advice and it might be very good advice for our company in a different time frame. It might be very good advice in this time frame for a little bit of a different company, but it's us as founders who know the company, who know the business, who know the environment the best. And like, we need to be brave enough to say like, no, I do not think and reason why we don't think it's the, the right thing to do. Because these things can then, if you do things too fast, that can fuck up the company culture. Uh, very quickly. If you hire the wrong people, that can fuck up your company culture. Because, and then this is maybe one thing that we also, we share a lot with Tommy is that we believe that everything starts from the people that you have inside the company. If they are proud of where they are working, if they're excited, that shows to the customers. And then once the customers are happy, then the, the financials, they work after that. But if, if you're kind of the, the core of the company, the people, if that's not working, then I don't believe anything else after that in long term will uh, work. So just kind of taking time, even though it might be painful to say like, okay, we didn't find the right candidate, but just taking the time and like, and yep. sometimes you, you, you think you found the perfect candidate and you hire them. And then at some point you start getting this signs that maybe this was not the right hire. And then just kind of acting early enough, not letting it go too far. So these are kind of for us, the people things. Yep. And you can never then, underestimate the need for like FaceTime, just spending time with people. So you're, you told me briefly before we started yeah. that you, of course, like during COVID, COVID went fully virtual. And now are you fully back out the office? Is it like two or three days back out the office? How do you manage that nuance that you just mentioned of having FaceTime? But I think we have not generated any like rules that you need to be at the office this many days i'm kind of i'm hoping that we can create a company culture and a place where you want to come it's the people it's your kind of extended family or however you want to call it and uh now i think for most of if you look at our uh hq office most of the people are working here i don't know four days a week and it's kind of back to pre-covid how they used to work uh as well yep. so pretty uh similar and then how are you scaling that internationally so are you doing that by choosing the right leaders and then they and they have to build that on their own or do you fly out to different headquarters how do you manage those into the international part of the operation yeah i think when, when we open up a new country then me and tommy or tommy are present there quite a bit or then one of our other like 
core team members who are opening up the country. And then we pay a lot of attention to the like the the GM of the country that we hire, uh, that it's the right uh, candidate with the right background, right knowledge, but then the right kind of uh, ability to come into our company and be part of who we are. Uh, and then if that goes right, then it starts working. But I do spend quite a bit of my time just traveling, going to different like companies and and I find it very important because then you get the the fingertip feeling of how the people are really doing. When you're having online meetings, you're concentrating on the topic that you're discussing and you're missing a lot of these like hidden signals from the people. Uh, because it's, it's, at least in my opinion, it's very important to early on tackle if they have anything that's not wrong. And you can sense it from like, you're drinking a coffee with them. He says, okay, there's something wrong. And then you try to get it out and then you can solve it. If it, escalates they kind of hide it long enough and then it becomes a, a small thing becomes a big thing and it's very difficult to solve it afterwards so kind of just spending time and like trying to create a culture where it's uh, they can talk about even small things that are annoying them and it's not something that we judge but we try to fix them and yeah let's switch gears a bit from the company building side to yep. more of the product side so tell us a bit about the tech you're using because you you mentioned in the beginning that the in theory, it's quite simple what you do, meaning you maintain and repair bikes for everyday people who don't, either don't have the time or the ability to do it themselves. But then how do you use tech to make that customer journey more seamless and more amazing for the end user? Yeah. Basically, what we do nowadays, we started off with the consumer business back in the days in 2016. And what we do now, it's, it's expanded a little bit. So what we're doing is we're basically maintaining Anything that's within a city that's moving people or things around. And if we look at the transition that's happening in our cities, it's this uh, kind of transportation is transforming from this non-sustainable means of transport into sustainable means of transport. And that's where we are. We're basically enabling that transition. And it can be vehicles from like, if you look at bikes to e-bikes uh, to these like cargo bikes, heavy cargo bikes, LEVs, and God knows where that will. It's, it's, it's a very raw, immature uh, market still, developing uh, market. So that's what we're doing. So it's kind of the consumer side, but then also we are helping companies who are using sustainable means of transport for their last mile delivery needs. So we're helping them as well. And if we look at the consumer side, like where the whole tech platform uh, idea came from or where the need for that came from is that when we looked at the, the, that we're going to offer this service, we wanted to have our mechanics, our guys and girls, the best tools at hand, whether it is the screwdrivers or it's the, the, the kind of IT tools on like they see who the customer is and what has been done to the bike. So we looked on the market and there was nothing like when you come from other industries, the bike industry, it seems like you're jumping like 30 years back in time in everything. Uh, so, so just just sorry for interrupting you, but yeah. importing there. So the first instinct was not, hey, let's go build that. But no. is there a tool out there that we can buy to fulfill that objective? Yes. And if we look at back in 2016, it was bootstrapping. So me and Tommy, we said like, okay, we both, but I think it was 20K that we put in. Like, okay, with this money, we need to last until... Oh, we're going to get the vans, we're going to get the tools, we're going to get this and that and that. So we didn't have any excessive funding that we could hire a tech team to build up a fucking platform. It was different, like just 
Google Forms and putting different free tools into place. So it looked very digital if you look at it from our mechanics perspective, from the customer's perspective. But on the backside, it was like a freaking chaos. Uh, but we are that, but that was very kind of cheap, easy, and fast to kind of like fine tune and, and figure out like what do we actually need. And then once we had that, the next year, then we uh, had a third party uh, service provider who started developing the, the platform for us. But it was basically from the need that if we were going to make this the biggest and best in the world, we need to have the tools for mechanics, but we need to also understand ourselves, like what what's going on, like. What, what are the physicists? How's the quality? And we need to have that data for ourselves. And this is where the kind of the initial idea for the platform came from. And then from there onwards, now it's developed into a platform that our uh, customers are using for their fleet management, where they have op times, where they're reporting what's wrong with their vehicles. It's for our uh, OEM partners. We're providing data back to them, which components are lasting, which ones are not, how their vehicles developing, uh, the customers can see their maintenance histories. So it's kind of grown along the years and we've understood more and more like what can we do with the data? And I think we're still kind of just scraping the tip of the iceberg in terms of like what can be done with it. We're using it for calculating, okay, when do we need to maintain? What's the cheapest way to keep a vehicle on the street? Uh, when do we need, how often do we go there? How do we do the preventive maintenance so that we don't need to go there uh, on like ad hoc basis, what parts are like, if it's a more expensive part, but it lasts longer, is it worthwhile to put that in for the, the vehicle? So it's, there's a lot of like this day-to-day -day operational things uh, involved with it. But if we look at into the future, more and more things are going to be connected. We're gathering data, not only from the vehicles themselves, but we're also putting this like, um, the people who are seeing the vehicles, who are doing things, we're putting that into the data and, and gathering a lot of things. And then kind of how that can be, we're seeing where the vehicles are going, how that can be benefited. If we look at insurance companies, if we look at cities on their like uh, planning, we know where we have a lot of issues on like crashes or uh, ad hoc things on the cities, we can uh, help the cities develop that. So it's, it's I, I believe that it's going to, go a lot further than we're seeing today. And that's kind of what, what excites me in the uh, kind of, it, it's, it's so raw, it's so young, it's so immature, this whole um, thing. And there's so much to be done on that side. So you feel like the, gather, uh, the data you're gathering could be the starting off point for a whole other branch, basically, of business in the future. Yes, yes. If we look at this kind of platform that we've developed for purely for our own needs so that we can operate, we can serve our customers better, we can lower costs for them. And, and I think kind of the data is another thing that could be something in the future and will probably be something in the future. So that's an interesting topic. And the other thing is kind of for the, the platform where that will go. So there is an opportunity of spinning that off into a, if we look at kind of pure SaaS software, kind of a, a, a platform uh, on that service, yep. but it's not the time for that. Now it's still kind of, I believe that when we have everything in our own hands, we have the mechanics, they're part of our company. We have the platform, the tech team is part of our company and the, kind of the, the operations. So then it's the best way for us now to develop everything. But it, it all goes hand in hand and it's yeah. every single day we're changing things, whether it's the operational model, whether it's the parts, whether it's on the tech side, how we're doing things and like it's still 
Very, very raw. Did you did you buy now because you, if I understood correctly, you started out building the platform with the agency basically? Yep. Did you bring that in-house by now or how yeah. did you manage that? Because it can be a tricky relationship to have an agency partner who does everything long-term basically. Yeah. Yeah. So we had the agency for, we they started in 2017 with us and then uh, last year, 22, early 22, we in-housed uh, the team. Because it was all the time, like with an outside agency, it's easy. If we, if we look at kind of from the funding side, that's basically what has been dictating how we do our tech. Uh, because if we look at 2016 or 17, you're talking about like vehicle maintenance to VCs. They're like, fuck you talking about? <laughs> and then COVID hits. And then everybody has been always knowing that this kind of uh, <laughs> e-bikes and bikes, and that's the new future and like super interested in that uh, side. Uh, so kind of in the beginning phase, it was easy when we had an outside agency, it was easy to scale it up and down uh, based on like how much funding we had. And if we had bigger project, more funding, then we could scale it up and then kind of scaling it to very minimum when there was, we call cockroach mode moments. Yeah. So basically the using the flexibility that you wouldn't have with an internet team because it, I guess yeah. it would kill the culture if you would just fire people all the time and then rehire yeah. and then fire again. Yeah, yeah, that that that's not I don't think it's fair. It's like I yeah. Don't yeah. We 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 have had to go through this. Like if you look at uh we last year, early last year we're still looking like okay the market is now growing, growing, growing. So what we did, we hired up more people uh to be able to handle the growth. And then suddenly like last spring the financial market started crashing. And then if you look at a lot of this like uh either direct customers or customers of customers that were serving were somehow related to VC-funded companies. And then that started collapsing. And then during last autumn, it, it was like a nightmare at some point. You would hear like almost every single week, some customer went bankrupt or they're pulling out from markets. And it was like, fuck, like we're going to do and uh, But we pulled through how it. Did you how, how did you manage that? And, and uh, I, I don't only mean tactically yeah. but also psychologically as a founder because being a founder is never is never super easy and fun no. but then those times are nasty yeah i think it's the kind of the network that you have around uh you so i think crucial was co-founder like that when you have somebody who you can like call like oh fuck this is like shit and like yeah it is shit and you're not alone with it but we, we talk a lot with tommy and then i think kind yeah. of from the 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 advisory board from the investors, there's like great people that can support. And I think the one thing that gave a lot of relief during last autumn was when you're talking to other founders. And then you realize that everybody, almost everybody's going through the same shit. So it's not necessarily that we have done something wrong. And that's why I need to let somebody go who will have problems because I need to let him go that I've fucked up. And now I'm fucking up somebody else's lives because I've made a bad decision. So that kind of gave a little bit of relief that it's 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 happening everywhere. Everybody's going through the same stuff. But I think last autumn was like the the nastiest time. Uh, yeah. And in some industries, it's, it's still a bloodbath. Yeah. Even until now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's kind of, but now yeah, I'm not sure if I'm, it's, it's me and my optimism, but I think I'm seeing like now we just had one customer and they were starting like expansion. And I was like, I haven't heard that word for a year. 
thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so 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 you you feel like it's it's slowly tickling up again. It could be. Yes. I'm not saying it is, but it's I'm I'm starting to see like some customers are expanding and it's a little bit like Yeah. I, I mean fingers let's, crossed. Let's hope for it. Yep. Yeah. And then as the last and final question, where can people find you guys online? Yeah.com. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node, with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.